Let's worship Jesus today. Let's worship the one whose name is above every other name. Let's worship the one who was and is and is to come. Let's, let's worship Jesus today. Can we just consider Jesus? The reason why we have gathered, Jesus. The reason why we can claim victory, Jesus. The one who took upon himself our sins, that we would have life everlasting and that we would spend eternity and glory with him in heaven, Jesus. The one who took you when you was not thinking of him and doing your own thing, Jesus. The song just bubbled up in my heart when uh, during prayer, uh, that song that says, Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus was able to make you a whole. Nothing but the blood of Jesus is able to make us right. It, it doesn't matter where we've been through, what we've been through this week. We have come to worship Jesus this morning. And my prayer is that we would worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. Well, praise God. Good morning. Welcome to this worship of the church gathered at Forest Baptist. So grateful for you. So grateful uh, that the Lord kept you another week. Grateful that we're able to gather. Grateful for those who are at home, who are still worshiping with us. Again, we are a combination of both. We are the combination of the church gathered and the combination of the church scattered. But, uh, but the Lord has saw fit to allow us to come once again on this first day of the week. And why do we worship on the first day of the week? Because Jesus got up on the first day of the week. This is all about Jesus. So we gather to worship him. Why don't you pray with me this morning? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Blessed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, this day we ask that you would come, open up our minds and hearts to be aware of your presence. Give us insight and clarity May your spirit move within us with power, supernatural power from on high, that we would cling to the truths of Scripture, that we would fully and wholly depend upon you. Father, may you give us a heart that is filled with gratitude, because had it not been for you on our side, where would we be? Had it not been for you waking us up this morning, had it not been for you bringing us through another week, had it not been for you keeping us on the highways and the byways, had it not been for you blessing us on the job, Lord, had it not been for you blessing us with that job, had it not been for you keeping watch over our children, had it not been for you keeping watch over our homes, and had it not been for you putting food in our refrigerator and clothes on our back, Lord, it has been you and you alone, not us, dear God. So we give glory and honor and praise to you this morning. We thank you, O oh God, 
for allowing us to come to worship and to exalt your most holy and righteous name. Father, I ask that you would have mercy upon us by giving us supernatural insight and clarity. Bring the conviction of sin. Bring the transformation of our spirits that we will leave this place and go out into the world preaching and teaching and declaring the good news of what you have done. Thank you that you are a promise keeper, that you are not man, that you should lie. So, Lord, we stand right now on your promise that as you send forth your word, it will not return void. Father, please accomplish something amazing today through your word. Please have mercy on me. Give me the strength and the energy that I will not be dependent upon my mind but I would be wholly dependent upon you. Hide me behind thy cross that we would hear from on high. Please speak to us for your servants are listening. We love you and thank you. This we pray in the name of Jesus the Christ. And all of God's people said together, amen, amen, amen. As I was preparing this week and looking at the text, I was pondering and contemplating just how powerful a confession is. If you don't believe how powerful a confession is, you can just turn your attention to some of those crime shows that you watch where everything turns on a confession. I don't care what crime show it is, usually they all have a moment where the whole situation turns upon a confession. It doesn't matter if it's CSI, NCIS, Columbo, Murder, She Wrote. I'm going old school for some of y'all. It it doesn't matter if it's Scooby-Doo. At at some point, there's that moment where the confession comes out and it changes everything. The pieces of the puzzle are finally put together and now the picture is able to be experienced and able to be understood. It's that moment when uh, what didn't make sense before begins to make sense right now upon that confession. But one of the things I was considering is, is in those powerful confessions, things completely change. Unsolved mysteries are solved upon a confession. Prison sentences are overturned from the declaration of a confession. Life trajectories are changed in the midst of a confession. But confessions aren't only powerful when confessing guilt. But confessions are just as, if not even more powerful when those confessions are speaking of truth. This morning, I want to direct your attention to one such moment in the scripture. Turn with me to Matthew, the 16th chapter. Matthew, the 16th chapter. And as you do, the the context and the moment that we see here is that in this point of Matthew's gospel, The majority of Jesus' earthly ministry has already been completed and fulfilled, and he is getting ready to make his way to the cross. He is getting ready to make his way to Jerusalem. But 
But at this moment, he is still with his disciples. He is unfolding. He is revealing. He is giving them further clarity into his specific and particular identity. You know, some, some days it's been hard for, for me to recognize folks because of these masks. It's been unclear who your identities are. Have you been in the, in the grocery store or in school somewhere and, and someone's speaking to you and you're looking at them like they crazy? Like, who is that? And then, and then they kind of pop off their masks it's like it's me. They, 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 they're giving you a, a second look in order to understand who they are. And Jesus is continuing to give the 12 revelation and clarity into who he is. The son of God. The very one who will lay down his life that they would live. And Jesus is tucked away with the 12 in a place called Caesarea Philippi, some 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. And it is here that we hear this amazing confession, this amazing declaration of truth from one of his disciples that uh, the entire foundation of the church is built upon even today. Matthew, the 16th chapter, beginning with verse 13. And if you are able, please stand with me in honor of reading of God's word. Matthew, the 16th chapter, beginning with verse 13. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom and of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. The subject of our text today is simply standing on the confession of Christ. Standing on the confession of Christ. Do not undervalue the power and the importance of this confession. I have to admit, uh, prior to this week, in whenever I would study this text, the whole uh, reason why I was there was to talk about the church. And, and rightly so, because we see that from this declaration, Jesus is saying that he is establishing his New Testament church, this, this new called out people who belong to him. And I would normally only talk about church things, but what the Lord was burdened upon my heart today is that you, won't, you wouldn't have the church unless you had this confession. 
You couldn't have the church unless this declaration of truth was genuine and real. Beloved, it's easy to walk past this text and see uh, the, uh, the apostle Peter uh, declaring boldly uh, to Jesus who he says he is, but had not Jesus revealed himself to them, they would not know who he was. And praise God that he has revealed something to you already. Had God not opened up your eyes, would you be sitting right there? Had God not been working in your heart, would you have showed up? Had, had God not done something, would you ha would even want to, to read his word? So even before, even before we get into the text, we can praise the Lord. We can say, thank you, Lord, that you have, you have done something in my life. I may not understand all the implications of what you have done or what you are doing, but you have been doing something. And it's evident in the fact that this confession has been made and my life is built upon it. This confession is profound, but yet it is a concise declaration of the gospel itself. This confession becomes the foundation, like I said, upon which the entire New Testament church is founded and built upon and continues to stand. This confession is so important, but primarily this confession is so important because this confession points to the exclusivity of Jesus in God's eternal plan for salvation. This confession is pointing to only one, only one person who can save you from your sins. This confession is why Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes unto the Father but by me. This confession, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, is of utmost importance. Because without affirming this confessional truth, Christians have nothing to stand on. If this truth is not at the center of who we are and what we believe, then the reason why we gather is just because we, we kind of like one another and we ain't got nothing else to do on Sunday morning. If, if this confession is not the center of what we believe, then we're just going through the, we're just going through the motions of life, and, and this building is just our, uh, our private country club uh, built to make us feel better about ourselves. But I got to believe that Jesus has given us something so much greater, so much more important in this confession. Because when we think about this building, when we think about this community, it's really not about you and it's really not about me. When we show up, we gather together. It's, it's, it's kind of like uh, a Voltron. Like, you know, Voltron had a different, uh, just stick with me, just, just stick with me. They're like, Voltron, they just stick with me. It's like, it's like when the, tig when the tigers, they all separate, and they, they're able to fight their little battles, and they're able to do destruction to some of those, those little issues of life. But when, but when the big monster comes, when the big issue comes, uh, and, and, and it's presenting a problem, they have to form Voltron. They have to all come together as one and fight together. Beloved, it's something about the community of, of believers that when we get together, it doesn't matter how big the problem might be. It doesn't matter how hard the situation or circumstance may, that's showing up may be, but when God's people come together united as one, there's nothing that God can't stop through his people. 
This is why this confession is so important. And the center of our thought as I work through this text is the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, is the truth that all Christians will stand on both today and forevermore. This confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, is the truth that all Christians will stand upon today and forevermore. Basically, what this confession that we're hearing that, that we're hearing come out of the mouth of the Apostle Peter has stood the test of time. Thousands of years ago, he makes this confession. And thousands of years later, we're still here worshiping. It stands the test of time. But the thing is, if, if this confession is not your understanding of who Jesus is, then two things may be at, at work. The first thing, it may be you don't have Jesus at all. If that confession doesn't resonate in your heart that Jesus is the son of the living God, he is the Christ. If that doesn't resonate, if that doesn't pique your ears, if that doesn't make you feel a certain way, then, then maybe you don't have Jesus at, at all. Or maybe on the other side of it, the Jesus that you have may actually be less than the Jesus of the Bible. And then as such, the Jesus that you may be holding on to doesn't have the power to save. So as we consider this confession, consider the implications. What exactly is Peter saying in this confession? Comp Peter is saying a few things in, in this confession. Well, we, could, we could preach an entire sermon just on verse 16, but I want to place it in this context and preach the whole passage, but... What Peter is saying in this confession, he says, you are the Christ. You are the long-awaited Savior. You are the Messiah, anointed one, the, 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 the one from the line of David, this kingly anointed one who would come and deliver Israel from all of her enemies. You are the one that we have been waiting for since Genesis 3, where you would crush Satan's head, though he bruised your heel. You are the redemption and reconciliation, the means of redemption and reconciliation for all of mankind. We have been waiting for you. You are the Christ. Jesus, we've been longing for you. We've been desperate for you. We've been needing, we've been needing, have you ever been desperate for Jesus? Have you ever, Jesus, I, I need you to show up now. Jesus, if, if you don't show up, I don't know what I'm going to do. Jesus, if, if you don't show up, well, I'm going to lose my mind. And, and Peter is conveying thousands of years of angst from a people Could you imagine? I can't. Being born in slavery and generation after generation after generation, though I'm still I'm born on this soil, I'm still have a life relegated to servitude. And then one day, 
someone comes up to you and says, the war is over and you're free. Everything changes. Everything has changed for Peter. He gave up a good job. He gave up a good paying job to follow Jesus. But that's because Jesus is the culmination of what he's been with. You are the Christ. And not only are you the Christ, there's even something even more special about you, the son of the living God. You are of the same essence, not, not, not a son that was begotten in the sense of a marriage taking place and a child being born. No, you are of the exact image, the exact imprint of, of, of God in heaven, of, of Yahweh, and you have come. You are the son of the living God. And he asks living God as in, in opposition to the, the dead, inanimate gods that those around were worshiping. Baal wasn't living. The Asherah wasn't living. None of the gods, uh, no other god was living, but you are the son of the living God. There's something special about Yahweh. He ain't dead. He still has power and authority and might. In this confession, he's declaring the exclusivity of Jesus. There's no one like him. No one compares to him. No other religious figure is like Jesus. Simply because every other religious figure is still dead in the grave and Jesus got up. Son of the living God. He's divine in nature. So what, what, what Peter is, is ultimately saying in this confession is that Jesus is Lord. That's the declaration. That's the confession upon which our, our, our faith stands, this church stands, that Jesus is Lord. And Peter, he is speaking this not from hearsay. He is speaking this from a personal understanding. But what I want to point out most is the implications from this confession that Jesus is Lord. It's not, you don't, it's not just Jesus is Lord and I go about my business, but because Jesus is Lord, something takes place. And the first thing in the text I want you to notice that this confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, brings clarity to confusion. It brings clarity to confusion. Because the first thing, I want you to notice the location. It says Jesus, he's in this district of uh, Caesarea Philippi, 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. He is in like Gentile pagan country. And as Jesus is with the 12 in the midst of this pagan uh, Gentile uh, region, this is an area filled with pagan worship. This, in this area, there was built a, uh, it was known for the worship of the god of Pan in, in, in the Greek mythology. There was the worship of, uh, of Baal going on in this area. But then also because it was connected to Rome, it, it, in this place, there was an ongoing worship to Caesar. So in this location, this region, Jesus is to the people there, he may have just been one of many. One of many ways to heaven. One of many ways to God. One of many ways to live your life. And beloved, we face that very thing today, don't we? 
we face the confusion that many people will come to you and say, if, you, if your good just outweighs your bad, then you go to heaven. If you, uh, if, if you make a trip to Mecca and worship, that's one of the ways that you get to heaven. If you uh, partake in, in Ramadan for so many days, that's, that's one way that you get into heaven. And we are uh, encountering people who say many, there are many ways to heaven. You just be as good as you can and you'll get to heaven. The same would have been in this place. Jesus would have just been one of many ways. And all of that confusion, Jesus asked the question, who do people say I am? Let's get to the bottom of this. And in that question, Jesus begins this, this like funnel-like dissection of their understanding to, to really bring home who he is. But even in asking, who do the people say that I, that I am? Jesus, he gets multiple answers, right? Some of the people say he's John the Baptist. Some of the people say he's Elijah. Some people say he's Jeremiah or some of the other prophets. So, okay, that, that, that's one step better, right? So instead of just thinking that he's just one of just many gods, they say, okay, well, Jesus, he, he is a prophet. He, he is obviously under a divine mandate from God. He is sent from God. He's similar to Elijah, John the Baptist. He's similar to Jeremiah. He's similar to all the prophets. So, so they're coming up with this understanding of who Jesus is, but yet their understanding is still not enough because in their eyes, Jesus is just a prophet. Jesus is just a good man. In this moment, there's a whole lot of confusion. One, there's the confusion of just not knowing who Jesus is, period. And two, not understanding who Jesus really is. But both of these understandings will lead to a life completely separated from the goodness of God. All of these identifications are still inadequate to who Jesus is. So what does Jesus do? Jesus, he hones in on the story, and, and instead of talking about what they say out there, he, 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 brings, it, he brings it aside to his, his close circle and say, well, wh what do y'all say? But who do you say that I am? I'm, let, let's, let's stop worrying for a minute what everybody else is saying. Let's stop worrying about how everybody else is influencing you. Who am I to you? What do you see about me? And in that moment, Jesus, Jesus is saying, who do you believe in? What are you going to trust in? And what this confession is showing us in the midst of this confusion, that there ought to be a difference from what we believe about Jesus than what the world believes about Jesus. See, the world has a Jesus that he's, he's, he's this really gentle, lowly Jesus with like that flowing blonde hair. He's kind of like hippie Jesus, like, oh, dude, don't sweat it. Everything's good. And like, like he's that kind of Jesus but that doesn't hold you accountable for your sin. He's the type of Jesus that, that he may have come for your sins, but he's really not going to come back and bestow consequences for sin. So what we have to ask ourselves is, is what, what, who do I believe Jesus is? Is Jesus... Just uh, someone who was able to save, or is he my Lord and master? See, it's different when Jesus is your master. See, Jesus, he saves, but when he's your master, that means you got to obey him. 
That means when Jesus uh, gives you a commandment that you actually got to listen to what Jesus is calling you to do. But when he's your master, the, uh, the text tells us he's a good shepherd. So if Jesus is your master, then you know you can trust him with your life because he's going to lead you by flowing streams of water. He's going to lead you by the green, the green pastures. He's going to lead you in places where he's going to restore your soul. Beloved, if you have a Jesus that's sucking the joy out of your entire life, if you have a Jesus that is all about taking from you and making you feel bad about yourself, then you got the wrong Jesus. If you have a Jesus that's not able to equip you with mercy and grace that will follow you all the days of your life, then you don't have the right Jesus. There's a lot of confusion. This confession cuts through and say the Jesus of the Bible is both, he's the Messiah, the one you've been waiting for, for relief. <laughs> This has been a year we've been waiting for relief. But even in the midst of it, beloved, and I've heard your stories, even in the midst of this pandemic, Jesus has been showing up at your house. <laughs> Jesus has been showing up in your bedroom. Jesus has been showing up on your job. Jesus has been showing up in a hospital with you. And he's been revealing himself to be the one that you have been waiting for. The living son of the living God. This Jesus still has power to overcome. This Jesus still has power to, to break yokes and destroy strongholds. This Jesus still has power to, to save the unsavable. This Jesus has the power to love the unlovable. This, this Jesus has all power in his hand. This confession cuts through the confusion of, of the world today, but not only does it cut through the confusion, this confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, indicates this divine revelation upon the lives of his people. Because what does Jesus say next? He says, oh, Simon Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. That idiom, flesh and blood, is a Jewish phrase. That means human beings. So Jesus is saying, you didn't come up with that on your own. You know how we try to be smart? Like we said, seen a quote on the internet or somebody told us something, then we use it somewhere else and we take credit for it. Like, like, like Jesus is like, no, you didn't come up with that on your own. As a matter of fact, no human being revealed that to you, but it was my Father who is in heaven. <laughs> he said, Peter... He says Simon Barjona. He uses government name, not his government name, his government. He uses his, his, his whole name and declaration that, that, that you have been bestowed, a, a blessing has been bestowed upon your, your life and that you are living out of right now. It's not, the, it's not just the fact that you are blessed because you know this, but you are blessed because out of this knowing, you are experiencing and you are acting upon this knowledge in a way that, that your, your life has been transformed. It's not just the fact that you've come to church, Peter. It's the fact that you are the church, Peter. It's, it's not the fact that you just, uh, you, you know of the Sunday school lesson, Peter. It's the fact that you can actually live out the Sunday school lesson, Peter. He's saying, and you are blessed because my Father in heaven has called you by name.
He says, you know me because my father has called you. Turn with me right quick to John, the sixth chapter. John, the sixth chapter and the 44th verse, we see, we see this reality that Jesus is talking about. He said, you didn't come up with that on your own, but my father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. In John, the sixth chapter and the 44th verse, Jesus is speaking and he says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is talking here about God's divine sovereignty to call people unto himself. And and when God calls you to himself, he, he fills you with this Holy Spirit. He gives you new eyes to see and new ears to hear. And you recognize and understand who Jesus really is. And, you, and, and then you take that and you apply that truth into your life and you begin to live like you know Jesus. He's called Peter by name. The blessing uh, doesn't just come by knowing about Jesus, but being known by Jesus. That's the blessing here. Through divine revelation, we have the privilege to be in an intimate relationship with the God of heaven. It's like that song, He Knows My Name. He knows my name. Oh, what a privilege it is to have the God of heaven know your name. But the major part of this text, the implications, is the fact that the confession that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God, gathers a community for missions. A community is gathered. Because what happens next? Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's a lot of discussion on various views on this text in Matthew the 16th chapter and the 18th verse of just what, like, what does that really mean? Uh, one view has been taken in Catholicism, in Catholic doctrine, would say that here Jesus is uh, giving Peter a uh, divine mandate um, to be over the church in the sense that uh, he has papal authority. He has this authority. Uh, he has what is called papal infallibility, that because Jesus makes him the, the head of the church, that as he goes before the Lord for instruction, that what he says is infallible. Like, so like right now, in Catholic doctrine, there is the belief that what the Pope says is infallible. And that the head of the church is supposed to come through this apostolic su succession, one after another. There's always going to be this head of the church. But that is an extreme that I, I don't believe the text points out here. There is no need for a pope because Jesus is a high priest. The 
curtain has been torn and we have complete access to the Holy of Holies. We don't have to go to confession because the Spirit is our intercessor confessing our sins before us. As, as Sister Jackie was talking to, telling us before, the, the, the reason why we don't have to go to the priest is because I, don't, I really don't have to open up my mouth and confess uh, because the Spirit caused me to, to moan and to, and, 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 and to groan my prayers before the Lord. So that, I don't believe the text says that. But then there's, a, there's another extreme that, that would say that uh, the rock here is only Peter's confession. That only his confession that you are the Son of God, you are the, the Christ, Son of the living God. That only that and only that alone. And really that's in reaction to uh, Catholic doctrine. So instead of Peter uh, having, uh, having any part, it goes only upon this statement, does the church stand? But I think, like with all things in Scripture, there's a, there's a balanced understanding of what this text is saying. I believe what this text is, is, is saying that the rock here is the confession and the confessor. There, there's a combination of what's going on. This is why I believe so. Uh, when, we, when we see Peter throughout uh, especially the book of Acts, we see that Peter does have a special place in the formation and foundation of the early New Testament church, right? We see, like, all throughout, like, Acts 1 through 12, Peter is, he, he is on the move, he is teaching and preaching. In Acts 2, uh, Peter preaches to the Jews, the, the, the Holy Spirit has come, he preaches to the Jews, and the Jews come to faith in Jesus Christ. It says that 3,000 were added that day, and then they, they be, devoted themselves to the teaching of the, uh, uh, of the apostles and prayer, so they began to have church with the Jews. But then we see in Acts, the eighth chapter, uh, Peter is going out and he runs into the Samaritans and he preaches the gospel to the Samaritans. And in Acts chapter eight, Samaritans are being saved. You remember Samaritans, those half Jews, half uh, Gentiles who, who only believe in, in a portion of uh, the law of Moses. So, so now, as in Acts 1-8, the gospel is spread from Jerusalem to Samaria. They're saved in Samaria, but then not only that, uh, Peter preaches to Gentiles, to an all-Gentile crowd in Acts the 10th chapter, and they come to faith in Jesus Christ, and now they're part of the kingdom. So now the fulfillment of Acts 1-8, they go into all the land, into Jerusalem, Samaria, and the, and the other reaches of the world has now come to completion, to fruition, through the work and preaching and teaching of Peter. But then right after that, Peter just kind of fades off the scene. And we see the missional work of Paul. So there is a special place in uh, this confession for Peter. He does have a particular work. However, his particular work is not founded upon him and him alone. But God is building his church with, with many stones, and, and we have the privilege to participate and he says, so through you, through, he said, you are a rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. Yeah, Peter, you're the rock, and this, this truth of who I am, I'm going to build my church, the ecclesia, the, the assembly of the called out ones, the community of people who submit to God's kingly rule. I'm going to build this church, but this church is built upon more than Peter. Turn with me quickly to 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, 
let's look at verses. Let's start with verse five right quick. Paul is talking about the church, talking about divisions in the church, but he's talking about how it's built. First Corinthians, the third chapter, beginning with verse five, he says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollo, Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. The, the Pope doesn't give the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Here we go. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each, of, let each one take care of how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid which is Christ Jesus. Uh, Paul is saying, as you are coming into this faith, there is this building uh, called the church, this firm foundation, and you are laying upon it your life and further stones that Jesus is the Christ, son of the living God. Turn over a few more books to Ephesians, the second chapter. Ephesians, the second chapter, uh, Paul again is talking about this common faith and what is built upon. Ephesians, the second chapter, beginning with verse 19, says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So what the implication is that, Peter, you're going to lay down some foundational work in the church, but the, the, the stones that you're building with is Jesus. And beloved, as the, as the people of God, as, as this uh, gathering of community, uh, the people who love Jesus, if we are building with anything else besides the name of Jesus, then we are building on, 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 on weak ground. We will have a weak foundation in your own life, in your own pursuit of the Lord. If, if Jesus is not the center of why you do what you do, then you're laying bad stone. And Jesus gives the implications. From this church, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loose. We've, we've touched on, on that before, but... Uh, and, and, and he's talking about the authority of the church. And I'm giving my people the authority to prohibit or to permit based upon the gospel when sins are actually forgiven and when sins are not forgiven. Authority over this opening of the door of heaven. So what Jesus is, is confirming from this confession, I am building a community of people who love me and follow me. But not only will they be built, I'm going to build them so they can build others. That's the purpose of the church. The purpose is not just for you to come on Sunday to get a word for yourself. 
The purpose of worship is to come and to get a word for yourself that you may share with others. This confession says that there's a mission there's, uh, that he wants us to accomplish the, 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 the job and the responsibility of leaving here and making sure other people know the name of Jesus. Making sure that their weak foundation is replaced with a firm foundation where their lives can be built. So even just thinking about this, some of the questions that we have to ask ourselves then is, do you, do you know Jesus for yourself? Or is Jesus just, is he just somebody that your parents talk about at home? Or is Jesus just somebody that the pastor talks about? But do you know Jesus for yourself? Because if you, don't, if you can't make this confession yourself, then you will spend an eternity separated from the goodness of God because you will not have the forgiveness of your sins. We ask ourselves, do you know Jesus for yourself? But then also we want to ask ourselves, is Jesus one of many ways for you? Do you have a type of religion that is Jesus plus? Like you need Jesus plus your good works? You need Jesus plus you need to go to church? You need Jesus plus praying? Or like, like, no, like no, the reason why we gather is because of what Jesus has done, not because I'm trying to make myself acceptable to him. But then thirdly, and I think this is where a lot of us are, what we really have to think of. Just as Peter's confession has stood the test of time, will your confession stand the test of time? Will your confession be sure day after day after day? Well, if your confession is built upon the solid rock of Jesus and Jesus Christ alone, then your confession will stand the test of time. Beloved, ultimately, from this confession, there's like a B-side. And on the B-side, if Jesus is who he says he is, the long-awaited Messiah, the son of the living God who has come, then the other side of the story says he didn't just come because people were already good. He came because people were already bad. And, the, and, and this people was so bad that God himself had to come and die for them. So the hope of the gospel not only says that Jesus came, it says Jesus came to save sinners just like you. And if Jesus came to save sinners just like you and just like me, that means that there's something about my life that's been sinful. <laughs> there's something that I've been doing that's been wrong. I, 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 maybe I've told a lie. Maybe I've, I've lusted in my mind over someone. Maybe I've hurt someone. Maybe, may, I, I've been disobedient to the word of God in some way. I have not lived up to God's standard of how I should live my life. And if that is true, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. But the glorious part of the gospel is I don't have to stay separated from God. I don't have to be, stay separated from his goodness, but I can be redeemed. I can be reconciled, reconciled. My life can be renewed and transformed when I lay down my life and pick up Jesus Christ through repentance and faith. When I understand that 
I have been laying a bad foundation for my life, and only, uh, only the, the, the message and the confession that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God, can save me and begin to, uh, to build my life upon the solid rock, then I can stand. It is only when we understand that Jesus had to come, not just for everybody else, he had to come for you. But if I'm willing to lay down my life through repentance and faith, then I will continue to stand upon the confession that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God, and this truth is what you will stand on today and forevermore. Because the people of God, we stand upon this confession of Christ. Will you stand today? Would you pray with me? Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this glorious confession that, hold, Lord, you hold us on solid ground in this confession. Lord, this word cuts through all of the confusion. You provide clarity through divine revelation. But then you are also creating a new community to go out to rescue others. So, Father, help us to fulfill our duty, our call, our mandate, not because we have to, because we have the privilege and we get to. So, Father, have your way. Please transform someone's life today. Thank you for meeting us here. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Beloved, how will you respond to Jesus' words today? The Bible reminds